You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I love to hear people that are out of breath because they've been worshiping so much. It's always a blessing. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26, and I want to read something to you in a moment. Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26. Luke 23, beginning at verse 26. I I want to read something to you. Um, If I can find it. Well, well, I guess I, I guess I lost it. Mm. Well, well, well. That's all right. I'll just have to. I have to remember it from memory, and I can do that too. I've I've got a book here called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham. It was put together by Harold Myra and Marshall Shelley. It is, uh, it is just a tremendous book on the leadership skills and, and those gifts that God seemed to give Billy Graham. In there, there's a story that I had never heard before. And it said this. It said, had it not been for a black man, Billy Graham would have probably never come to Christ as far as his conversion. And I thought that was an interesting statement. So I began to read the story. And it told this story. It said that there was a revival going on in, in, in the community that Billy Graham lived in. And, and uh, he had no desire. Billy Graham cared nothing about going, didn't want to go, wasn't planning on going. And there was a black foreman, a man who was over their, their, their farming operation, who uh, drove this old truck. And uh, Billy was 16 years old. And man, he wanted to drive. You know the way 16-year-olds are. He wanted to drive. And, so this black foreman came to Billy Graham and he said, I tell you what I'll do. He said, I, I, I tell you what I'll do. If you'll go to this revival, he said, I'll let you drive that truck. <laughs> oh, Billy, 16 years old, he said, man, that was just too much. He just couldn't resist that. So sure enough, that old black foreman came and he loaded him and old Billy got in that truck and they went to this revival. And then that revival that night, Billy Graham, this great evangelist, this man that's been used by probably more than any other Christian outside of the Apostle Paul, This man came to Christ. Today we're going to look at a black man who carried the cross of Christ. And there's some things that I want you to be sensitive to and your heart to be sensitive to as we look at this passage. So I want you to take your Bibles, Luke chapter 23, and I want us to look at verse 26. Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26. And I I want you to listen to statements made by William Barclay. William Barclay said this, He said, when a criminal was condemned to be crucified, he was taken from the judgment hall. He was set in the middle of a hollow square of four Roman soldiers. His own cross was then laid upon his shoulders. He was marched to the place of crucifixion by the longest possible route. He was made to march by every road, every street, every lane, every alley. While before him there marched another soldier bearing a placard 
with his crime inscribed upon it so that he might be so that 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 it might be a terrible warning to anyone else who was contemplating such a crime that is what they did to Jesus i want you to look at luke chapter 23 beginning at verse 26 Luke says, as they led him away, that is Jesus. He has been beaten. He's been, he's been, his, his body is ripped and torn. Have you seen the passion of Christ? That gives you a pretty good historical, accurate picture of what Jesus might have looked like. It said, as they led him away, they see Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. They put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and Wailed for him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when they will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wounds, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will they do? When it is dry. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they, when they came to the place that is called the skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is really the Christ, the God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land unto the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, the Roman soldier who was in command seeing what had happened praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him 
including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a man of Arimathea, of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and their action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down. He wrapped it in linen cloth. He placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had lain before. It was preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. They saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to his commandment. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you love us, that you care about us. Lord, may we see today the depth of your love, the cost of freedom that we enjoy, the sacrifice that was made, dear Lord. May you remind us of just how much we have to praise and to worship you today. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be sensitive, that you'll guard us from getting caught up in thinking of other things that our Bibles are open, that we're tuned in. That if someone were to look at us in this service, they would not see a yawning face of indifference. They would not see someone whose Bible is not open, who doesn't even bother to take a pew Bible and open it, but they would see somebody with something. It may be their, it may be their phone, they pulled up the Scripture, and I pray that is the only thing that they're looking at. But that, dear Lord, our hearts would be focused on what you have done for us. That as you peer over heaven's banisters, that you would see your people in love with you. As David Crowder's band would often sing, Oh, how he loves us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now. Forgive us if there be anything in our life that would hinder your word in preaching it or receiving it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Luke is a physician. Uh, Luke's a doctor. He is, uh, he's writing, as we've said over the last, nearly uh, last months, several months, Luke is not only a physician, he's a traveling partner of the Apostle Paul. He, he is an individual that is very much understanding as to the body and crucifixion and how it would affect. And I, I want us to take a moment and I want us to see two things today. First of all, I want you and I to see the depth of Christ's love for you and Christ's love for me, Okay. And I want us to see, first of all, the physical demands itself that are being on Christ at this point. Now, remember Jesus, for the last 30 years, has been a carpenter, okay? Now, he didn't have craftsmen. He didn't go down to Sears and pick him up a few power tools. He didn't pull up in his, his truck and unload his tools out of his truck and, and, and do those things. He didn't have DeWalt. He didn't have some of those names that you and I are familiar with. Jesus did his carpentry work by this by simple tools in his hand. So Jesus had spent his life, the last 30 years of his life, as a carpenter fashioning wood. 
He was the elder brother, which meant that he was probably the one. We believe, historians believe, that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, had died at a young age. So because of that, the weight of the responsibility of the family and even the family business had been squarely on the shoulders of Jesus. So he has spent his life fashioning and making wood. So his body would have been conditioned. He is not a kind of a... Uh, you know, some people would say a pansy. Uh, he's not, a, he's not a, a weak man. He's not a man. He was, a, he was very much a man's man because he had spent his life working with his hands, making a living that way. Yesterday I met my uncle. Sheila and I walked through Belks yesterday afternoon. She said, there's your Uncle Bob and went over and met with him. My Uncle Bob, I think, is about 76 or 77. He is still a man's man. My dad is 82. He is still a man's man because they are men that have worked their entire life in carpentry, in construction, or in some kind of field that keeps them in shape. Now I want to say this to everyone in this room. When you wear out that body, and when I wear out this body, what are you going to use next? As we're coming up to the end of the year, Jesus' body had been fine-tuned. It had been made ready for the cross. He could not die under the soldiers, under the Roman lictor, under the cat of nine tails. He could not die in the abuse arena of the Romans. He could not die on the Via Della Rosa as he made his way toward Calvary. He couldn't die as he got to the top of Calvary. He couldn't die at the top of Golgotha. He had to die on the cross. And the only way that he could do that was to spend his life conditioning and making his body ready for the spiritual test that would be placed upon it. How many of us today are abusing our bodies to the point that we cannot carry out God's will for our lives. Billy Graham is 93 years old. This past week he celebrated his birthday in the hospital, from what I've understood, of a mild case of pneumonia. But I thought to myself, thank God that this man, all through his life, was conditioning and taking care of his body and keeping it fit so that he could be here today. And I can tell you this much, there'll be a sad wave of emotion that'll sweep across this land one day. When that that announcement comes, Billy Graham passed away this morning. But there's some in this room that spiritually you're not where you need to be because physically you're abusing your body. And so Jesus here, there's great physical demand. 30 years he's been a carpenter. He will spend... The next 15 hours, I want you to understand something. By the time he comes to the cross, it has been a complete, all through the night, an ordeal that was almost hell on earth. You can imagine the tense emotions of the upper room, the betrayal, the denial, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, the desertion of his disciples. Imagine all of his followers had, had fled. Gethsemane, his sweat turning to blood. The mock trial before Pilate, 
carried to, to Herod, back to Pilate, two and a half miles that he made that journey without sleep, without eating, after the slander, the abuse, the mob, the praetorian, the praetorian guard, the Roman soldiers, the cat of nine tails, the Roman lictor who, was, who literally his job was to beat a man within an inch of his life. You can imagine this, the weight of this, the beating, the loss of blood, no food, no sleep, a mob, a cross. And my friend, listen, let's not glamorize this. Jesus Christ is naked when He's hanging on that cross. I remember what Bob Smith said, that blind preacher one time when he was preaching here. He said that God looked down and he saw his son hanging on that cross completely naked before the world. And God put his hand across the son and he said, you won't see my son like this. And the Bible says that the son was blocked out. God said, you won't allow this. I won't allow you to see him this way. I watched... And let me say this, a moment ago when I was worshiping, I was worshiping with everything in me. It takes everything in me not to just jump up. I just want to jump. I understand Chris McKinnon. I just want to jump. I want to, you know, Jackie, sometimes I do want to dance. I want to just run around the sanctuary. There's just like a, a ball of energy. And then I think, well, what do these people think? Well, Oklahoma State didn't have no problem last night. That mob didn't have a bit of problem there in Oklahoma pouring out onto that field, tearing down the goalpost, shouting and carrying on. My friend, we don't have a bit of... LSU didn't have no problem. And you didn't hear a word about Jesus out of any of them. Not out of most of them I was listening to. Oh, my friend, I don't know about you. When I think about what Christ has done for you and I, we want to celebrate. We just want to praise and worship an almighty heavenly Father. And so you can imagine this scene. Some have said there were over 30,000 crosses that Jesus had might, might have seen in his lifetime. No wonder Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. The old song says, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. Doctors, I was reading this week, have examined the crucifixion. They would have said this is the most excruciating. Excruciating, excruciating is a word that comes from crucifixion. Medical doctors, I was reading some of the research of godly Christian doctors that have looked at this and said this would have been the most excruciating of deaths. The tearing of the nerves in both the hands and the feet would almost have been more than someone would have bared. They would have been the equivalent of a horrible toothache in every limb of the body. The labor to breathe would have been exhausting, would have been unbelievable as a body that was lacerated and had taken all of the beating that he had taken would lift himself in order to draw the next breath. A homeless man asked me this week, sitting right here in this sanctuary, with tears in his eyes, he said, why? And in that moment I said to him, because God loves you. And he looked at me still with tears in his eyes and he said, why would he do that for me? What does he want out of me? What could I possibly give him? 
And about that time, about that time, my daughter-in-law, Alicia, came in with my little grandson, Ethan. And I said, I said, hold that fault. I, I walked over here and I, and as I came over, he was going, paw, 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 paw. And I reached my hands, about the only one he'll come out from when it's his mother, you know, and I took him into my arms and I began to kiss him and to hold him and he came to me and he began to love on me and I looked at this homeless man and I said, that's what God wants out of you. He only wants your love. Praise and worship is our opportunity to lift our hands up and wrap our arms around the neck of Jesus and say, Lord, we love you. We love you for what you've done for us. Unwilling, undeserving. Here we are, Lord. We love you, Lord. That's what he wants. And so here, Peter, here, Luke is telling us the enormous cost that Jesus paid for you and I. May you and I never forget the sacrifice of his love, the depth of his love, how much he loves you. I remember one time saying to Omafundis Jaina, Jeff, over in Zimbabwe, looking at him. And we were talking about this, and I said, Mafundis, I said, think about it. What if I died for you? What if one of the big old belching diesel buses were coming by, and all of a sudden you were about to get hit, and I pushed you out of the way, but in the process I died? I said, what would you think? That old African looked at me, and he said, I would think you love me a great deal. My friend, when you and I gather and we look at the cross, we don't hang an empty tomb around our neck. We don't, have a, we don't hang a cradle around our neck. We hang a cross. Why? To remind us of the depth of how much He loved us, how much He sacrificed of us, and the cost, and the cost of forgiveness. That's why we do. So there's not only the depth of His love, but there's the object of His love. Guess what the object of His love is? Do this. That's right. You. You and I are the object of His love. You say, why would he do that? Because he loves you. Oh, how he loves us. Luke begins to describe all of these people that surround the cross. He talks in verse 26. He said, as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Boy, don't you envy Simon of Cyrene. G. Campbell Morgan said this. Listen to this closely. He said, quiet, possibly he was a Jew. Far more probably, he was a black man. And I wrote down here, we can see this black man as he reaches down under the load of that cross and he lifts it up on his broad shoulders. And already the angels are singing from heaven, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. And old Simon reached up in them big black broad shoulders of his. And he lift that cross up off the shoulders of Jesus. And you can imagine as their eyes locked. I was preaching in Harare, Zimbabwe, the capital, years ago. Preaching to the Institute of Technology, the technological school of that whole country. Speaking to young men and women there. And I made this statement. I made the same statement. I preached in St. Muin at the largest, one of the largest European military bases in Western Europe. I made the same statement. Africa has always been on the heart of God. It's always been on the heart of God. 
There's always been something special about Africa to God. And when God's covenant people would get into trouble, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, God would always send them to Africa. Jews believe that when the Ark of the Covenant was being hidden, was being stashed away, and many believe it's been hidden today, many people believe in Africa that it's hidden in Africa. Because when God loves something, and He has to protect it, He sends it to the continent of Africa to keep it safe. God's always had a heart for Africa. God has a heart in this country for the African American, the black man, the black woman, the black young person. Joseph was woken up one night out of sleep, Josh. An angel of the Lord tapped Joseph and he said, Quick, Herod is going to kill the baby. Get him out of here. Lord, where do we go? Go to Africa. This past week, Leanne and Abby came back from Mozambique. We were standing out here talking and Leanne looked at me and she said, Oh, Africa. She said it was a spiritual experience. I said, Leanne, when you go to Africa, you never quite come back. Something about it. And here this man, Simon of Cyrene, this black African, gets up under the cross of Jesus and he lifts it up off of Jesus probably humming the tune, must Jesus bear the cross alone? The Bible says, the Bible says, Mark 15, 21 said he had two boys with him, Rufus and Alexander. Rufus and Alexander, let me tell you a little bit about them. These two boys, Josh, he had two boys with him. You can imagine, when a Roman soldier came up, this is what he would do. He would turn that blade flat and he would tap you. When he tapped you, you better do this. You better go down and you better look and say, what do you need me to do? You could carry his armor, you could carry his coat, you could do whatever. In this case, Jesus, Jesus finally comes to the point on the Via Della Rosa that he just collapses. He can't go any farther. His body is just bruised and beaten. Blood is spilling out of his pore, every pore of his body. Simon of Cyrene, the Bible said, he'd come in from the country. Here's a black man coming along. And all of a sudden, that Roman soldier turns his blade sideways and he taps Simon of Cyrene on the shoulder. He points. Simon Cyrene knows what to do. He reaches down. He comes up, imagine, is coming alongside the bloody, beaten body of Jesus. And the Bible says, now, Josh, this would have been hard because he had two boys. And his thought was probably, his thought was probably, son, Ruth is Alexander. You stay near dad, stay near me. And he lifts up that cross and he begins to make his way down to Via Della Rosa, heading to Calvary. Those two little black boys following behind him. They didn't know that all of heaven was standing at attention. They didn't know that all of hell had come to attention. Because redemption, the plan of salvation, the blood-bought redemption, salvation that you and I enjoy was taking place. Those little boys were clamoring alongside of dad, not wanting to get out of visible eyesight from him. You know what the Bible says? Guess who two of the main leaders are in the New Testament church? Those two little black boys grew up, Rufus and Alexander, become great men of God. New Testament leaders. You know what the Apostle Paul said when he closed the book of Romans? He said, you tell Rufus and Alexander, I said, hello. And he said, oh, their mama said, she's like a mama to me. Wow. 
Simon of Cyrene's wife. His two sons would become leaders in the church. Simon of Cyrene, his wife, would become like a mother to the Apostle Paul. Man. And so here we see it. And, and, and it's forced. But yet I believe there came a point that he converted. Let me tell you something. If you don't know anything about me, you know this. I have a heart. I've always had a heart for African American. Please know my heart. There was a time when my mom was very sick, when my mom had some serious problems. There was a time when my dad worked for NASA and we were moving around. We had left Florida. We were in Kansas. It was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Our life was a crisis. We were jumping around place to place with NASA because of those nuclear cell, uh, warheads and them silos that they were in. We were moving around from place to place. And we went to Texas. My mom had had a nervous breakdown in Kansas. My dad was looking for somebody to help her. And there was a big old African-American woman who just had the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus in her heart and who cared. And I still remember the influence and the impact of that woman's life on my life. Simon of Cyrene. And then the Bible says there were women. In verse 27 it says, it said here a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and they wailed for him. Ladies, nod if you're listening. I want you to listen to what Warren Wiersbe said, ladies. This is powerful. It has been pointed out that as far as the gospel records are concerned, no woman was ever an enemy of God, of Jesus. No woman was ever an enemy of Jesus. Nor was Jesus ever the enemy of womankind. The news of his birth was shared with the Jewish maiden. His death was witnessed by grieving women. And the good news of his resurrection was first announced to a woman. Just like Africa has been on the heart of God, so have women. Jesus goes on to tell these women, He said, listen, He said, don't weep for me. Imagine this scene as He's stumbling and making His way down the Via Della Rosa and these women are weeping, wailing, calling out, oh, crying out, throwing dust up in the air. And He says to them, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. That's You will mourn the thought of bringing a baby into this. You will mourn and regret that you're nursing a baby. That's strange. Jesus looks 70 years to 78. He looks about 35 years into the future, 70 AD, and he saw the Roman armies coming into Jerusalem. And, the, and historians say that they wiped out the city of Jerusalem. They tore it to shreds. They murdered men, women, and children. They massacred them. And the few that they decided to keep alive, they scattered them to the ends of the earth. And for the next 2,000 years, Jerusalem would be desolate of a Jew. The covenant people of God. Jesus said, don't weep for and then he made this statement. He said, because if they'll do this to a green tree, imagine what they'll do to dry kindling. If they'll do this to an innocent man, the Roman government, if they'll do this to an innocent man, 
Imagine what they will do one day with a rebellious people. Let me move quickly and close. The third and final one is the thieves. You know, it's strange. Of course, the Bible prophesied that Jesus would be hung between thieves. He would be hung between criminals. Matthew tells us that both of these men railed. They mocked him. They made fun of him. That's a strange thing. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought, you know, if I were dying, if I were hanging on a cross, and I'm dying next to Jesus, I don't believe I'd have done that. I mean, I just don't think I could have ridiculed and mocked Jesus. Let me tell you what they did and what some in this room will do. You're going, to go, you're going to go with the crowd all the way straight to the pit of hell. You value the crowd so much. You love your peers so much. You love that girl. You love that guy. Listen, you'll throw off the authority of Scripture, of your parents, of everybody. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And one day you'll march with your peers, your friends, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. You'll march into hell with all of them right alongside of you because you made a tragic mistake. You thought that the world would show you mercy. The world never shows mercy. You thought, man, you know, I, I, I've looked at, forgive me, Andy, but I looked at LSU. I thought, what a charmed life. I mean, what in Alabama, you know, you think, man, Wow, strange, poor kicker, you know, and you just think, and you look at what, and you think, what a charmed life this team is leading. And I sat yesterday and I desperately wanted to hear the head coach or somebody begin to talk about Jesus and about Christ. You know, some people make a deal with the devil. Some people say to the enemy, listen, if you'll just get me where I want to be, if you'll give me the accolades of the world, I promise you this much, I'll give you the allegiance you're asking for. Lisa Marie Presley, the daughter of Elvis Presley, the former husband, the ex-husband, the ex-wife of Michael Jackson, made this statement. She said, my dad and my husband both sought desperately for acceptance, value, worth, something. And I thought as she was sharing that, I thought the world never shows mercy. The world will use Elvis Presley, the world will use Michael Jackson, and they'll use and they'll use and they'll use till there's nothing left. I was reading yesterday Steve Jobs' biography. A dear close friend of Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, said Steve Jobs had a hole in him and he spent his life trying to fill it. And these thieves, these these criminals, finally, one of them, the Bible says, repent. Verses 40 and 41, he sees his sin. He says, we deserve what we've gotten. We're punished justly. And then he sees his Savior. He said, verses 41 and 42, this man's done nothing wrong. Verse 43, he hears it settled and secured and spoken because in verse 43, Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. I close with this. I heard Adrian Rogers telling the story of a man by the name of Joe Henry Hankins. 
Joe Henry Hankins was a prominent preacher in Arkansas. Joe Henry Hankins said on one particular service, he said the place was packed full, and he said he looked up in the balcony, and he said there was a nice-looking young man. He said that young man was right smack dab in the middle of the balcony. He said they began to sing that hymn of invitation. He said he watched that young man. He said that young man would, would, would start to walk, and then he'd turn around and he'd come back. Then he'd think again, he'd start to walk, and then he'd turn around and come back. He watched this young man under the conviction of sin, this young man broken in his spirit, this young man who needed to be saved, and he watched him wrestling, and finally he said that young man closed his hymnal, and he bowed his head, and he never moved again. Joe Henry Hankins said weeks later he got a call from this family. The parents of this young man, they said, you need to come, he's dying. Joe Henry Hankins went to that home and he sat there with that young man. He said, uh, when he saw him, he he remembered him. He said, young man, he said, uh, don't I remember you? Weren't you in our service a few weeks ago? And the young man said, yes, sir. He said, weren't you the one sitting in the middle of the balcony up there? He said, yes, sir. He said, son, didn't I see you repeatedly look as if you were getting ready to move and come down that aisle and then you'd go back? He said, yes, sir. He said, son, do you know you're dying? He said, yes, sir. He said, son, it's not too late. Why don't you give your life to Christ? He said, that young man looked at him and said, Dr. Hankins, you don't understand. When I closed that hymnal, something died in me. My friend, let me tell you this. You don't come to God on your schedule. If God's Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, if you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if God's saying, I did all of that for you, and my friend, you're sitting here saying, well, God, not today, not now, maybe another day. You know what the Bible says about salvation? Today is the day. Now is the accepted time. Preacher went to a home. He sat in the home of of a young dad, a young dad there by himself with his little boy, a little bitty toddler, a little bitty small boy. Football game was going on. It was a Saturday. A collegiate game was going on. And that TV was just a blaring. That preacher went by and he began to talk to that dad. And the dad just, man, the dad didn't take his eyes off that ball game. Dad didn't cut down the volume of that TV. That little boy was running around raising all kinds of ruckus. That preacher sat there and pled and did everything he could with that dad. That dad didn't have time to even hardly listen to it. Finally, the preacher said he was discouraged and just felt distraught. And finally, he looked and he said, Well, I guess I better go. Would you mind if I had a short prayer? And he said he prayed a short prayer and he left. He said the next day was Sunday and he was preaching that 11 o'clock service. And that, just like a moment ago, that church was full. He came to that invitation and all of a sudden he said he saw this young man, this young dad, he was coming down the aisle, just a weeping. And as he made his way down that aisle, he, 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 he just, the preacher said, I was almost shocked. He said, that dad came down, he could hardly talk. He said, preacher, I, I want to get saved. I want to give my heart and life to Christ. He just wept. That preacher said he had, he led him through the plan of salvation. He told him about Christ. He told him everything that he had tried to tell him the day before. That dad just wept uncontrollably. He prayed that prayer. His whole body, his whole shoulders, just a heaving and shaking. And afterwards, that preacher 
told him, said, son, you, sir, you sit down here on the front pew. And that man sat down on that front pew. And he went on about. And finally, during the prayer time before the people were to be introduced, that old preacher said, he said, I couldn't help it. He said, I, he said, I just sat down on that front pew. And he said, I looked at that. He said, I just sat there. He said, I looked at that dad. He said, man, I don't understand. He said, yesterday, you didn't give me the time of day. You didn't listen to what I was saying. You were too busy watching that ball game. I mean, the thing was blaring. The sun, your baby, little boy was running around. I don't understand what happened. That old father began to weep and to cry. He said, preacher, he said, when you left, he said, my little boy came and run, jumped up in my arms, wrapped his arms around, little chubby arms around my neck, and he whispered into my ear. He said, daddy, we don't want to go to heaven, do we, daddy? We don't want to go to heaven, do we, Daddy? And my friend in this city today, there's a lot of children that are dying and they're on their way to hell. And they're whispering into the ear of a mom or dad, we don't want to go to heaven, do we, Mama? Do we, Daddy? Oh, my friend, do we? He loved you. He died. He paid the penalty and He would do it again for one of you. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand. Nobody nobody looking around. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Maybe Christ has spoken to you in this moment. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, you've begun to grasp and to understand how much He loves you. Some of you in this room, there's a few of you in this room, this doesn't mean nothing to you. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about a boyfriend, a girlfriend. You're thinking about what you're going to do this afternoon. None of this means anything to you. God save your soul. May God bring you to the point of such conviction and such brokenness that He will wake you up out of your self-centered, self-centered, arrogant life. May He remind you if you're a young person and you think, I've got the whole future ahead of me. I'm going to get my education. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this and do that. God help you to realize that only by the grace of God will you do anything. And my friend, if this doesn't move you, I doubt much will. Until God brings such brokenness in your life that you can't help but repent and serve Him with heads bowed and with eyes closed, may never be a moment like this. I've preached with everything in me. But I can't do the Holy Spirit's work. And I can't do your work. I can't be the Holy Spirit and I can't cause you to break down all the walls and the barriers that you put up into your life. But Christ can if you'll let Him. So with heads bowed and with eyes closed, if Christ has spoken to your heart today, if you don't know whether you're saved or not, and you want to settle it, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. And Lord, I know I deserve hell but I know that you love me 
that all of that suffering, all of the pain of the cross was for me. Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And right now be my Lord and my Savior. I thank you, Jesus, that because of this prayer that I prayed and what your Bible teaches, your Word teaches, that I'm saved. Lord, I begin a new journey. You are Lord. You are Master. You will call the shots for the rest of my life. God, help me to walk with you till I die. I thank you, Jesus. Amen.